0: At this point, I'd like to invite all of our kiddos ages around three to third grade or so to follow Miss Sarah out to the lobby for kid time. Throughout this season, we're looking at this concept of Lenten love, which really has two parts to it, right? There's the the love that God calls us to have for him through our repentant lives. Lent is a season of repentance, but also how he demonstrates his great and perfect love for us through the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus. Like we said earlier, we, last week we looked at how God demonstrates, shows his love through provision and how that, that frees us from worry. And today, this is the statement we want to we focus on, is this, love costs something. Love costs something. That really shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone, right? We've experienced this in, in our lives. Right? When, we get, when you get married and you're joined to that person whom you love, you also give up certain freedoms. You give up some of your independence, and so suddenly now it matters where you put the dirty clothes. You know, uh, you might find yourself watching uh, more of a romantic comedy like Love, Laughter, and Latte instead of an action flick like Bacon Fist, The Sizzle of Justice. Okay, yes I made those up. Do not google those. (laughs) But the idea is very simple. Love costs something. Love costs something. As parents, we get this, right? It's because you love your children that you might spend your time chauffeuring them to this practice or that recital or whatever, or instead of saving up for the big vacation, you're saving up to buy them a car because you sacrifice things for them. Love costs something. Or if you're a sports fan and you really, really love that one team, then then you invest your time, you invest your energy into following them and making sure the stats, knowing all the stats about them. You buy gear and you wear it, you put it on display regardless of who disagrees with you. But your love isn't free, it costs you something. And that's what we also see in our gospel lesson today when Jesus says, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those are harsh words. Now, briefly, just to be clear, he's not saying don't love your family. Rather, love God more. But the the emphasis that we're looking at today is that loving Jesus has a cost and that cost is to carry a cross. Jesus experienced that cost himself. He was asked by his heavenly father to carry the cross, to submit to the father's will. Even though it would mean that he he would humble himself to take on human flesh, Jesus paid that cost. Though it meant enduring the hateful attacks of his opponents, he did so willingly. Though it would mean nails being driven into his hands and his feet and a crown of thorns on his head, Christ loved you enough to make that sacrifice. Love costs something. And God's love Spares no cost. Luther explains this well in his second article explanation in the Apostles' Creed. He says, Jesus Christ redeemed me, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the devil. And he did this, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent sufferings and death, so that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him. Now, when we turn to to our first reading in 1 Peter chapter 1, what we see is we see three examples of what it looks like to be his own. Three examples of what it looks like to live under his kingdom and to serve him. Examples of what it looks like to love God well and to be submitted to him. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 1. You might want to open it up. We're looking at 13 through 21, but we're going to start in verse 14, and that's where we see our first example. The first way that we carry our cross in submission to Christ is by living a changed life. Now listen to what the text tells us. It says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, right? Don't live an unchanged life. No, now you're children, now you're obedient children, now you've, you've been released from this burden of sin. So don't conform to that old way of life any longer. Right? We talked about this a few weeks ago at Transfiguration. We talked about how when we experience the presence and the grace of Jesus, it changes us. Christ has called us by the gospel. The Spirit's worked faith in us through the word of God. And now we live like it. Because we aren't in ignorance any longer. We've received mercy and grace and life everlasting. And so we don't conform to the evil desires within any longer. We know where that path leads. We know that that's not what Christ has created us for. And so we live a changed life. And that's the first way we show our love for Jesus. It's by responding to his sacrifice for us. The second example he he gives is verses 15 and 16. And that's to emulate Jesus. It says this, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You can summarize all of that in this. Be like Jesus. Imitate God. And we naturally imitate the people that we admire. We we have an earthly role model. We want to say the things that they say. We say the same things. We use them as as sources because we uh, we value what they say. We quote them. We try to do what they do, because we value the way that they live. So our prayer here, God's command in this text is that our words and our actions would reflect Christ's holiness, that we would be like Jesus. Now to be clear on this point, none of this is done in order to earn salvation, right? None of this is done in order to get God's good favor. Instead, all of this is done in response to the love and the grace that's already been given to us in Jesus Christ. And Paul, he he clears it up this way in Ephesians 5 when he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You hear the command, and you hear that that comes only as a result of the grace that's been given. But the way we respond to God's grace is to live changed lives, to emulate Jesus. And then the third example that, that Peter gives in the text comes in verse 17, and that's to live with an understanding that God and his kingdom come first. And here's how he says it in verse 17: says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here and in reverent fear. Peter's teaching us to recognize that the things of this world are temporary and that God is our first priority, right? We are citizens, first and foremost, of his kingdom. And so we live here as foreigners, knowing that our first allegiance, our first loyalty is to Christ. Because Jesus is our Savior, and he is also our King. He is to be Lord of our lives, not just our Sundays. And that's why the text calls us to live in reverent fear of the Lord. To recognize that he is gracious and loving, and also that he is holy and powerful. And it takes us back to our gospel lesson, where we hear, if you love your mother or father, brother or sister, son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. It's not saying don't love your family. No, it's fine to love our families. It's fine to enjoy this world that God has given to us and created for us to enjoy but nothing should be so good in our eyes that it takes the place of Jesus and that's what it looks like to be kingdom minded to know that this is a temporary thing and that that is a far better thing so three examples live like Je- live a changed life be like Jesus be kingdom minded that's Peter's description Of what it looks like to live in his kingdom, to to serve him, to follow him, to submit to him, to carry our cross. That's his betrayal of what it costs to love God. Because love costs something. But there's a really big problem with this description. I mean, it's accurate, it's true. These are all ways in which we express our love for our Savior Jesus. Now, the problem is that we don't always want to pay that cost. Right? Scripture tells us to live a changed life, but we can be really comfortable in our sin. and We naturally gravitate back to the unchanged life that, that seeks satisfaction in worldly desires. Where scripture tells us to emulate Jesus, to, to love like he loves, to forgive the way he forgives. And, and yet we know that's a hard thing to ask. It's a hard thing to do. It's hard enough to love the people who love us back, let alone those who hurt us. It's a hard thing to forgive as we've been forgiven. Where scripture tells us to be kingdom minded. But we can be so enamored by this world that we don't value His eternal world. Or we're can to be so enamored by our version of what's right and what's wrong, that we abandon God's word of truth. And when faced between living in submission to him and living for ourselves, we don't always choose well. We don't want to pay that cost. And we're not alone. Peter didn't want to pay that cost either. The writer of this text is the same Peter who didn't want to emulate emulate Christ's sacrificial love, and in fact tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross at all. This is the same Peter who refused to stand with Jesus but chose to deny him three times. This is the Peter who, after the crucifixion, went right back to fishing. As if Jesus had changed nothing for him. Peter knows that the human heart is a fickle thing. He knows that our love is imperfect. He knows, as he gives this list, he knows we're not going to do it well. And that's why he starts this whole section off in verse 13. And he says this. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed, His coming. Right, these examples, these ways in which we are to love our Lord, they are fantastic goals for us to strive towards. But that's not where we base our hope. That's not what's going to, to save us. Instead, we set our hope on the grace that's given to us in Jesus Christ. Because our salvation and our standing before God, it does not lie in our ability to love God well. It lies in his ability to love us. And he does. God loves you. He loves you because you are the work of his hands. And he declares himself to be gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love for his creation. And that's you. And God loves you in spite of your sin. He tells you that nothing in all of existence could ever separate you from his love that's found in Jesus Christ. He loves you because you're his creation. He loves you in spite of your sin. He loves you more than you could possibly know. Paul prays in Ephesians that we would come to know how wide and long and high and deep is this all-surpassing love of Christ? In the earlier service, we talked about this in the children's message. I had, uh, you know, I had a measuring cup, and I had a tape measure, and I had a watch, and these things that we try to measure God's love. How do we know how much He loves us? And all of these things fall short. They all fall short because His love runneth over. It falls short because his love reaches to the highest heavens. It falls short because he loves us from everlasting to everlasting. Though we fall short of loving our God well, his disposition towards you is always one of love. As the psalmist says, surely it's your goodness and your love Follows me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah, God loves you. And love costs something. It's sacrificial. And he laid down his very life for you. There's this story that, that Chuck Colson has told about this group of American prisoners of war during World War II. And they were made to do hard labor in this prison camp. And everyone was given a shovel in the morning. And they would dig all day. And then an evening came. They would come back in and they'd give an account of their, of their tool. And one evening, these 20 prisoners were lined up and the guard uh, was, was counting the shovels. And the guard counted 19 shovels. So he turned to the prisoners in rage and he and demanded to know which one had not brought back their shovels. And no one responded. And the guard took out his gun, and he said he would shoot five men if the guilty prisoner did not step forward. And after a moment of tense silence, the youngest of them, a 19-year-old soldier, stepped forward with his head bowed down. And the guard grabbed him, shot him, and turned to warn the others that they had better be more careful. And then the guard left, And the rest of the soldiers stood there and they counted the shovels and there were 20. The guard had miscounted. And this young man, he had given his life so that his friends could live. And that's the sacrificial love of Jesus. This Jesus who did nothing wrong and yet stepped forward with his head bowed down And died so that you could live. Because God's love spares no cost. That's what Peter reminds us of in our text today. Just after this exhortation of verses 14 through 17, where he gives all these different examples of what it's like to submit to Jesus, Peter can't help but run to the gospel. And to show us and to point us to the demonstration of God's love for us. Because he knows that he can't do this well. He knows that we can't do this well. And so he points us away from our actions, and he points us to the actions of Christ, saying, you know that it was not with the perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that was handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. God's love spares no cost. And at the cross, we were ransomed, we were purified, we were purchased, we were obtained because Jesus willingly suffered and he willingly sacrificed himself. And I know we hear that all the time. But think about that. Think about this God who loves you enough to take on flesh and become part of his creation this God who loves you enough to suffer at the hands of his creation. That this Christ was nailed to the cross, aching and gasping for air. That the only begotten Son, God of gods and light of light, hung there for you. And his blood ran out. And his breath stopped. And this God died to save you the life of the people who were killing him. It's a staggering cost. Because God has a staggering love for you. God's love spares no cost. Of course, God's love didn't stop. It didn't end on the cross. Our hope as Christians is not in a dead Jesus, but in a risen one. And so Peter goes on in verse 21, saying, Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. Not in your abilities, but in the Lord. Not in in the ability we have to love him well, but in his love and in his grace that he has freely given to you. And now fueled, fueled by that love, fueled by his love for you through his death and his resurrection. Now we can look at those verses, 14 through 17. We can look at these commands, these examples with a new perspective. Because now this command to live a changed life is his offer to freedom. His offer that you are free from this burden of sin. This call to be like Jesus is his invitation to be with Jesus. To sit at his feet and to learn from him. The charge to to live with his kingdom in mind is really the comfort that comes from knowing that our future, our eternity, our salvation is all secure. These examples of how to love God well, they only come as a result of from knowing the love that he has given to us. So this morning, rest in that love. Let this Lenten season be a time to ponder his never stopping, his never giving up, his unbreaking, his always and forever love that he has for you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Holy Father, You sent Jesus to be the full demonstration of your love through his death and his resurrection. And now you call us to live in response to that love. But Lord, you see, you see how frequently we fail in this. And so right now we have a chance to come to you in confession and we're seeking your mercy for the sake of Christ. Because we acknowledge that, that our hearts are slow to change that our lives don't always reflect your holiness. We are easily distracted by the things of this world. Lord, forgive us for our fickle hearts. Have mercy on us for for these sins and for all the sin that, that burdens us this morning, which we can bring to you now in silent prayer. Loving and gracious Lord, we rejoice that nothing is too big for your grace, that nothing can separate us from your love. We thank you for a salvation that isn't dependent on how well we love you, but how much you love us. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus who died and rose for our forgiveness. And because you've had mercy on us, we rejoice that we are free to live as your beloved children. We're free to show that same love to others. We rejoice that through Christ our sins are all forgiven. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.